Here's Johnny. That are alive, you are coming with me. Do you want to play a game? Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. Donuts don't wear alligator shoes. Hey, motherfucker. Get to the chopper! Welcome to this week's episode of Genre Haze, your weekly dose of exploring the weird, wild, and wonderful depths of genre filmmaking. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, and as ever, I'm joined by my pal and co-host, Stuart Garris. It is me. And this week, we're chatting about arguably the best vampire film out there, that being David Slade's 2007 masterpiece, 30 Days a Night. As always, we'll proceed to dissect the film, spoilers and all, using our carefully crafted criteria of the good, the bad, and the what the fuck. And then we'll proceed to use the metric of the most professional degree, a six-pack of cold ones, to rate the film out of. But I didn't pick the film this week. Stuart, you picked the film. So why don't you introduce it for our lovely listeners? Uh, will do. Yes, I was honored to pick this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so a uh, quick summation. Uh, this is 2007's 30 Days of Night, directed by David Slade. Uh, the film is about a small Alaskan town um, of Barrow, Alaska, that once a year experiences a polar night for, you guessed it, 30 days. <laughs> uh, this year, however, the town is invaded by a group of vampires taking advantage of that month-long period of darkness. So, the town, led by Sheriff Eben Olsen, played by Josh Harnett, must come together to survive the month and the movie is based on the graphic novel written by steve niles who also helped with the screenplay for the movie uh with art by ben temple smith which is gorgeous art if you've read the book but uh so as far as a gross uh for the film it was made on a budget of about 30 million and it had a worldwide gross of over 75 million uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a critic score of 51% based on 158 reviews and an audience score of 56% based on over 250,000 ratings. Uh, and currently on Letterboxd, it's sitting with a 3.1 out of 5. Blasphemy. I, if you do not like this movie, this is not the episode for you to listen to. <laughs> or just stop listening now <laughs> uh no i was you know i was thinking maybe i could see maybe where critics could be divided with this movie but i was shocked to see how low the user score was too i was like damn <sighs> what do you people want <laughs> uh so yes i i mean do we want to delve into it or yeah you know i think we should probably start with just you know how do you generally regard vampire films and you know what about 30 days a night kind of makes it an outlier from the sort of general crop of vampire films we receive every you know couple of years no no i so for me uh i am a fan of vampire movies just in a general sense uh at the time, though, I, re I the thing with me, though, growing up, even with ones I loved, like I do love, like, you know, the classic Dracula films, um, you know, Bela Lugosi's and um, you know, Nosferatu and all that. I, I've, I've always enjoyed that and vampire lore. Uh, but 
the thing with Three Days of Night, I think it's the first one where I genuinely thought the vampires were scary. Yes. Like, genuinely, like, I wouldn't never want to ever be anywhere near one of these things. <laughs> where, you know, other vampire movies, I mean, obviously, no, I don't want to be, you know, murdered by Dracula or something. But I, at the same time, though, it's just like, you know, I, he's a sharp-dressed fella that just wants to <laughs> charm you to death, literally. But, you know, where I remember when I first saw this, um, I think I had read maybe an issue of the comic prior or so. At the time, I, I, I remember I didn't, I, I, I didn't have like the whole series, uh, which I was happy about because I was like, oh, they're doing a movie. I'll go see the movie. Um, but I, I remember the big thing for me, which was at least for me was a game changer was uh, in terms of just classicness of vampires. It has all those vampire tropes to a degree, but they're done in a way where it's not all of them. So you're not really sure what it is with these guys that's going to actually take them out or what they're really about because they're more animalistic than human despite the appearance. And that always stood out to me. And it's always been like this movie has and will probably always be my my film in mind when I go did you make a creepy vampire movie and I can't think of really many others I think there's vampire movies I love and think do really cool things with it but this is still to this day like the only one where I'm just like really pulled in by like what a horrid situation it would be being stuck with them yeah, you know, for me, and I'll be brutally honest, I can't stand most vampire movies. Uh, hey, hey, there's I, a lot of bad ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think for me, when I think back to like, specifically my introduction, which was the Universal Monsters era, which, you know, as you mentioned, Bela Lugosi, right? Yeah. My thing was is that there's the whole courtship aspect of vampires, right? It's like, oh, you have to either allow them to come in or somebody is seduced by them. And for me, that whole like the elegance, it was never really an interest of mine. Um, and that was the kind of thing where I was just like, yeah, you know, vampire films typically hit certain beats to the point where, I don't know, for me, there was not a lot of originality, whereas some of the other monster movies had some originality to them, or they at least deviated from the script of the original in terms of just the pacing or the plotting of it. Um, and for me specifically, when I got to 30 days of night, you know, I saw that movie the year it came out at one of my buddy's houses and I was far too young to see it, but it was also the same night that I watched. And I think it was even a double feature where I watched, um, 28 days later. And then I watched oh, 30 days of night shit. right after it, which is what a, a fucking, yeah, it's a wild experience. double feature. And I think that, you know, 30 days of night captured an aspect of 28 days later that was you know eye-opening to me and equally uh terrifying and kind of revitalized my love of zombie films at that point because it channeled the energy i think that 28 days later had but at the same time you know i think david slade as a filmmaker is so unique to the degree that every time i think about his movies or his body of work I'm kind of just like, why hasn't this guy made a fuck ton more movies or TV shows than he has? Um, because he is just such a singular 
voice, I think, in horror in that regard. Do we also want to address that the man has also directed a Twilight movie? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Talking about opposite (laughs) ends of spectrums. To go from 30 Days a Night... (laughs) To Twilight, to Hannibal is uh, that's quite the filmography and Hard Candy. Who could forget oh, that? Oh shit! That's he did do Hard Candy. I forgot about Hard Candy. I just saw that for the first time within the last I don't know five years, and that is one of the most unsettling viewing experiences I've had of any film, I, <laughs> of I, any I, genre. I don't think you. It's possible to watch it and not feel just gross. Yeah, it's it's basically, a, but really well done movie. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. I honestly, I I'm I'm with you on. I'm surprised that he hasn't done more in terms of directing. But I mean, with me, I mean, like going into this movie, I mean, we've addressed probably the, one of the biggest goods about it is the vampires are actually frightening. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I something I appreciate too because they and like I mean, as far as like you going into some of those tropes where like there's these rules for vampires. There are some tropes in this movie with vampires that they stick to, but it's based honestly, really the it's the only one is that it's like su- the sunlight hurts them. Right. Like any or like ultraviolet light like th- that hurts them. Other than that, they don't need to ask for permission for shit. <laughs> <laughs> they uh they do not Ugh, they don't fuck around in this movie at all. I don't even know really to where. I guess if we just want to talk about the vampires for a little bit in general. Yeah, but that's definitely at the top of my list of the goods. So. I, I mean, first off, they're led by uh, Danny Houston, uh, who's great as kind of the leader of said pack of vampires. But the thing with this movie, which is amazing, is I mean, first off, you have this plot of they, you know, they they find this town that they is plunged into darkness for a month basically the most ideal feeding ground ever yeah for them. and and not only that they i mean they have somebody that's human scout it for them like so it's like all very coordinated and you know they basically systematically take out the town before they start anything which it plays to like a lot of the strengths i think of vampire films right because you have this very unique spin on vampires, but at the same time, like it does prescribe to certain, uh, I suppose, tropes of the vampire genre, which is the fact that there's always some human that's being manipulated by either a vampire or multiple vampires to do their bidding, basically. Yeah, and and, and in this case, it's it's a, a out of his mind Ben Foster, who's always <laughs> I, I love Ben Foster, like he's such a great character actor, but he. Uh, yeah, I mean his. I mean his whole goal with it is basically they promise him that they'll make him a vampire too. And I mean, once you meet his character, you're like, yeah, that that checks. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> that checks out. Uh, but like, I think the detail in going to how much that they have actually cut this town off from any potential saving, because like they start off. I mean, like the first thing you see, uh which you witness from this perspective of, of the sheriff and a deputy is they find a bunch of phones from town that are in, burnt into a circle. And they just think it's, you know, kids were fucking around and it's a prank. <laughs> you know, so that's like their first, like it's bizarre. Uh, but they kind of just write it off as, okay. I mean, I guess it's kids will be kids and we'll figure it out. Like it's very clear. Like <laughs> there's not a ton of crazy horrid shit that happened in this town. Uh, but then they, you know, they do that. There's 
even mention of um, there's a, a helicopter that's taken out of commission. Sled dogs that are there are taken out. Power is cut. Internet's gone. Like, and they slowly kind of reveal each one of these like taken away. At first, they kind of show you, you know, there's some scenes that are you're, you're witnessing, you know, especially like a first attack scene where you really don't see much of anything other than someone being kind of cut up and you're not sure how. Mm. Uh, which is really, a, I think, an effective scene. But, uh, yeah, it's like they vampires in this, they're very smart. Like they have like the intelligence where you have that you could see that humanity in them a bit and how they, you know, can like some, sometimes when they communicate, which is something crazy. Fun fact thrown into this. Sorry for the rambling. This might happen a lot this episode. <laughs> it's an easy film to ramble about, Holy man. It's shit. fucking uh, awesome. They have a completely original language that they made for the movie that the vampires speak. Um, it, and it's like, and, and I think they had, they had like, uh, what was it? They, uh, I had it written down. Yeah. They had a linguistics professor from, uh, the new, a New Zealand university help them, oh, uh, create this language for the vampires to speak. Wow. And you're just like, the f- like this movie has a 51 percent uh <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> to, no go, to get that deep into the weeds with your like new f- pack of vampires to give them a completely original language that's like that's a respectable level of depth it it is and the other thing too which is like what we've been which we and i mean we've said before is is how they operate and even in their attack is it's horrifying because it's like they just basically once everything's out, they just start going to town, and uh, yeah, nobody is safe in this movie. There was actually a couple scenes I <laughs> forgot how grim some of it is. Uh, hmm. I mean, like they're using like a kid as bait at one point. They use another young woman as bait, and in a really just hard to watch death scene that follows. I think you could describe all the deaths in this film. Yeah, as hard to watch they're all they're, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, this is a it's a brutal movie, but I, I, I have to give it so many props though because it's like the first time where I just was like, wow, that is an actually like frightening concept. The makeup on the vampires is amazing and it's subtle, which is great. It's not like oh they're all over the top and have you know. Whatever, sparkles, spiked hair, whatever you want to say. I don't, mm-hmm. know. I don't know, capes and all that. Like, they're all just kind of dressed in just kind of sh- shabby clothing. And some of their heads are, like, shaped in certain ways where, like, they'll add some makeup that you can tell where they kind of maybe pointed their jaws and stuff a bit. And they have the teeth and some black eyes. But for the most part, uh, it's their movement and, like, the fact that they mm-hmm. didn't use... Thank God they didn't use like CG for some of the scenes where the vampires are going crazy on people. Um, a lot of it is just people like they'll like attack somebody and they just start like almost vibrating from the excitement of like getting a kill. <laughs> and you're just like, this is just awful. And on top of that, you get a, an, an aerial sequence where you're getting a shot of what this town is going through when this attack starts. And it's so helpless feeling. You're just like these 
like how many fucking people are going to be left by the time this is done? Like not many. Yeah, really. And then when it does come down to it and you see who's left, you are you realize like wow. I mean, it's a small town sure, but you're like there is not much left. Mm. Uh and so the stakes go that much even higher for, you know, wanting these you know these folks to survive this shit. But yeah, vampires are incredible in this movie. I could not say that enough. Jay, <laughs> your th- your thoughts. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just like tangents. I'm I so mean, sorry. to channel basically what you've been saying, like I think that's why this film is such a standout for me from other vampire stuff that I've seen. I should mention, you know, I in the past have enjoyed obviously Nosferatu, uh, which is kind of one of the goats, uh, the Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, but also I've enjoyed, um, you know, let the right one in. And oh, I think what ultimately I really like about 30 days of night. And, you know, I mentioned the sort of allusions of 28 days later, maybe having an influence on the sort of animalistic nature that the vampires take in this, but like on a rewatch and I've had multiple rewatches of this over the years, um, this film's attention to, you know, the like pack pack mentality of the vampires in the way they operate as this collective unit, um, which is not something that I can think of any other vampire film, vampire media has really tackled, right? Typically it's one, maybe two or three at the most, but it's very seldomly like a clan of vampires. And to see them operating as this like unit that is just hunting all these people and, you know, playing with them as well, I think that is probably the best element of this film that really makes it a standout is just like the savagery of the film, right? Yeah. The fact that you not only see them operating as this cohesive killing machine unit, but the fact that they, you know, take pleasure in what they're doing beyond just feasting. Countless of the kills in this film, and you mentioned one where, you know, they maim this woman and then use her as bait to basically lure out the other survivors, you know, they take pleasure in the fact that they surround her and then they start like slashing her before one of them is finally given the go ahead from their leader played by Danny Houston. I think his name's Marlo and just like getting to feast upon this woman that they could have done initially or they could have done immediately when it was apparent that like nobody was going to come out of wherever they were hiding from. But they're like, no, nah, we're just going to fuck with this woman before we shred her and then feast upon her. Um, and I think that ultimately that's something that they continue with the entire film is the fact that these are creatures that revel in the sort of brutality and savagery with which they're uh, imparting upon their victims in increasingly gruesome and sort of gratuitous ways. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no easy death in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. There's no, there's no point where you're like, well, that person got off easy. I mean, there's one character that actually does try to get off as easy as you possibly could in this scenario. And it does not go well. No. Uh, And no, like you said, I mean, even so the first attack scene, which is probably one of the only, and it's not a glaring one jump-ish scares in the movie is there's a couple that's like going through some shit we don't know what it is we've never seen them up until this point 
I think she's pissed that her husband made her stay in this place where they <laughs> don't see the sun for 30 days. Yeah. It's probably a little animosity. Yeah. There. I mean, she, you could tell that there's something with her that's making him sad because this guy's like tearing up in the living room and his wife's like, let's just make it work. So, you know, maybe it was an infidelity thing. You don't really know. He's also got a shotgun on yeah, his lap. So. Yeah. But my God, like in this scene, a vampire lunges through their window and just scoops her out. <laughs> this is like the first like attack that we kind of see in full up until that point. There is one where you get to, well, there's one where you, there's kind of the implied death of dogs. And then, uh, someone who's running with, uh, the power, we get to see his head placed upon a stake, which is when Eben, the sheriff is like, Oh, we got to fucking shut this shit down. <laughs> um, which is another, I, I mean, I'll go into that once we get to that character more, but it's, it's, it's nice too. Cause in the beginning, the first kill of it is the only one where the vampires are basically just kind of shadows and you get a quick shot of some fangs. And then on that vampire going down to suck blood out of the guy but (laughs) every the other the next like two or so kills are kind of people being like ripped into darkness and seeing little glimpses of some of the vampires like you get to see some of their faces a bit and stuff like that so they're not just like oh we're not going to show you their faces but the way they come into frame sometimes is very creepy and like you're like, oh, there's a fucking vampire over there. I thought they went over there. <laughs> like you're, you know, when like going with that whole group thing is like you don't really know where they're gonna come from. They do a really good job, I think, of bearing the lead, if you will, of the vampires themselves, right? Because you know you see them within the first, I believe, thirty minutes of the movie, but they do a good job with that opening kill of you know at least m- having some sort of masquerade, right? Of what's of what you're seeing. Um, which, if anything, I think kind of emphasizes their pack mentality, right? Because the fact that, and again, this kind of brings it back to the idea that the portrayal of vampires in this film is one of my favorites because it tackles, again, the idea that, okay, they want to further isolate these people from, you know, not only have they picked the best hunting ground because, you know, they, I believe the statistic at the beginning of the movie was like, oh, there's 80 miles of undrivable roads between them and the nearest civilization. So, you know, how are they going to run the score up on these people that are already isolated? Well, we're going to disable their communications. We're going to disable their electricity. So it shows them like attacking and disabling these sort of uh, staples of what allows this isolated community to thrive. And so then to then, you know, target people that are directly responsible for that, which is like the guy in charge of the generators and the guy that's in charge of, communications and whatnot they're one helicopters out also then you know they have that and you mentioned it with like ben foster who basically plays like the renfield character that then is like okay he's being promised immortality if he does what they say he should do which is murder all the dogs and then you know he's probably responsible also for stealing the cell phones and burning them Um, Mm -hmm. and so like it's refreshing to see a film that is able to tackle some of those genre staples, but at the same time, do it in a way that feels very modern, that doesn't feel like it's as reliant on like the glitz and glam and the capes and whatnot, which you mentioned. Um, So like those elements, I think, make for something that is somewhat familiar, but also a little unexpected, 
And the fact that the film is able to visually capture that in a way where it's like, we're going to obscure what is actually going on or what the actual threat is, even if obviously the audience knows what to expect, um, that kind of just like delays the reveal, which if anything makes it that much more shocking when you actually see the vampires in this film and how they look and how they sort of don't prescribe to the idea of like what a traditional vampire is, which is like this very, you know, most of the time very handsome or very refined looking vampire. It's like, no, these things, these creatures look like fucking creatures uh, from the jump. And the fact that they're able to like sort of play against that by obscuring our view of them for a good chunk of the opening of the film um, kind of speaks to just the visual style of this movie, which is probably one of my favorite aspects of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that on top of just atmosphere, this movie has just the chef's kiss of atmosphere for days. Uh, it's the other, the other thing I too, I really appreciate as far as like where the scares come from with the vampires is in the very beginning. A lot of it is, just these kind of creatures darting around that are clearly, you know, animalistic and just want to, you know, feed. But as the movie progresses and especially after like the first major attack, uh, a lot of the creepiness with the vampires very much comes from them. Like, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, them enjoying the slow suffering of people before they feed. Yeah, uh, there's a sequence with it's a little before the one we talked about with the young girl. And that one's just it's just I think it's just almost the mean spiritedness of it of like, <laughs> I mean, like not only do they like, you know, like cut her up and all this stuff, but like she like makes like a thing of like, please, God, like I, I promise, like I'm not going to do anything. And then he's just like looks around and basically taunts her saying like, there's no God here, basically. Mm-hmm. And. There's a sequence though a little before that where there's like a hus- there's a husband and wife in their living room. And like he's, you know, he's uh, Marlo's like he's like picking the guy up by his neck in the living room and he's fucking around with him with like a fire poker. His <laughs> wife's skewering like him. screaming. Yeah, he's like skewering him and then he like goes over and he's kind of like playing around with their record player with his bloody claws and it's just like a really slow unnerving scene. And there's a bunch of those as it continues of just like just uncomfortable like these are truly evil evil creatures yeah. like they're not like <laughs> oh they're purely just animals and they're don't going off instinct like no they enjoy killing things and like one point he like even makes a comment about how like humans are a plague <laughs> and the animosity towards their prey is ever apparent and if anything it's um it's quite defining i think in terms of just the portrayal of the vampires here because you know typically in vampire films like the vampire the vampire or the vampires obviously you know they're not uh, a fan of their prey but not to this level i think is the animosity no no yeah no they i mean they literally like look at them as just basically filth and yeah <laughs> the other thing that's really like something amazing that they do with it that is cool. Like, because so as the movie continues and then we'll go into the human characters, uh, but you know, as the movie continues and you know, there's this group that are trying to survive, you know, the, the goal for the vampire initially is just, okay, we're just going to feed and we're going to chill here for a month. Cause we got just darkness and we'll be able to last. But 
once they kind of have start having even just like an inkling of a feeling of like, oh, maybe like some of these, you know, humans are kind of smart and can make it. Then it also starts becoming, well, we need to kill them now also because we don't need word getting out that there's vampires. Yeah. And he even has a whole speech where he goes off about like we're basically just kind of been dreams and myth and nightmare to people and we want it to stay that way. And these fuckers can't go out and ruin that for <laughs> us. Uh, so then you start seeing it almost on a, a more personal level of like, especially Danny Houston, uh, Marlowe, where he's like, I we need to fucking take these people out, period. Uh, and not even just for food. We just need to kill them. Uh, so it adds that other layer to it where it becomes much more than just the animalistic side of it, which is like, it's just, there's so many great things with layers. In this. Ah, I keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could just keep going with it, but it's just, it's really appreciated in a genre that's so tired in some ways where yeah. you're like seeing things that are like, like adhering to lore, but in a way that's so unique and yes. isn't being, you know, things that aren't really touched on in other vampire films or really going into why they are the way they are. I mean, this movie, like I said, I mean, even by the time the movie ends, there's still a bit of a mystery about them into how sometimes how they kind of work, because while some things like rang true to old vampire lore, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff going on with them where they're clearly a, a, a different animal in some regards. Mm. No pun intended, but uh, <laughs> it was just, it's just very refreshing and it's, and even rewatching it now, I was just so happy when it was over. I was like, damn, like, I mean, there still really hasn't been another movie like this. I mean, we it can give a lot of credit to the, you know, book being a good framework and uh, even having Steve Niles help with the screenplay to it. But there's just, I can't. I guess I, I can't think of another vampire movie where things just felt so helpless on top of having to deal with an antagonist that like is scary, but also enjoys just suffering. It's, it's really yeah. bizarre, but like really great. And it's just odd that I, I find it odd as popular as vampires still are that this movie goes so unnoticed yeah, or that it didn't influence the genre more. Yeah, you know, that's think, another great you know, point too. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that you know this feels like a modernizing of at the time what you know felt like it was fairly sort of regimented in the types of vampire films we were getting. So the fact that you got a movie like this that didn't cause more waves, I suppose, within vampire cinema. Granted, the following year we got let the right one in it's a you great know movie i don't necessarily think though that there was like a resurgence of vampire films that you know pushed against sort of the i suppose pushed against is not the right way to say it maybe it's more vampire films that acknowledge the past but still presents it a modern yeah a modern updating of uh just sort of what was tried and true at that point um which is unfortunate because you know again and I suppose maybe some people that aren't fans of this film said, oh, well, they just made a zombie movie, but they're vampires. But that I don't think is a fair no, uh, no, summation of this film because, you know, it this movie has a different energy to it that most vampire films don't have 
but that's its greatest strength, I think, because it kind of trickles down to so many other elements in this movie that are remarkable. I mean, for me, one of my goods, which I'm sure is on uh, your list, is, you know, the gore could not be oh. more apt for the type of story that's being told here because of the fact that it is so in your face and it is so just fucking gnarly at every single instance. And the fact that this movie begins by, you know, doing going against one of the sort of, um, I suppose, pillars of upsetting audiences, which is slaughtering not only a dog, but multiple dogs, beautiful dogs, uh, in just such a grisly fashion, um, kind of sets the stage for what the audience can expect. And if anything, you know, this film just ratchets up in intensity and in gore factor uh, throughout the entirety of its runtime. Well, it's, it, I mean, on top of that, um, that's just insane with, with the gore is just, I mean, a lot of it, I would have to assume is practical. Because there's no way in 2007 that some of the CG could look as good as it, as some of the gore in this movie looks. Uh, like, it's gnarly. Like, there are times yeah. where you're sitting there like, geez, like, that's just... Like, it's something you've seen in a million movies, but they they hit it in a way where you go like, ah, my God. Like, someone loses a hand <laughs> at one point, and it looks awful. Yeah. Uh, it is fittingly fucked up. Yeah. And... I mean, there are some scenes like they're definitely with some CG use because there's just unless you just want to kill people for your movie. Um, but I mean, it, that's the other thing, too, when it comes like to atmosphere and even the town in itself and having this, you know, shroud of darkness is, uh, you know, the transitions from, you know, the practical gore, which there is a lot of practical. And not even just like, I mean, like you said, even with the dogs, like there is like a glimpse of these practical. I'm mean, obviously not real dog bodies, but. There's a glimpse of the aftermath and it's awful to look at. And yeah. it's, you know, definitely something that was created for the movie. Uh, so, but like, you know, when you have some more of the intense scenes where there's a lot more carnage going on in town, it's pretty crazy how much practical kind of blended in with some of the CG that they just had to do. But I think because of the time the movie came out in 2007, I'm, sh I'm, I'm sure they were aware that like, Hey, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to angle some of this a certain way and have this be outside so we can darken some of it up so that it blends. But, you know, as, a, as an end result, though, for the most part, it, it all blends really well. And you're not and you're just kind of not sure 100 percent all the time with a certain scene with CG. Like one scene, I, I just was like in disbelief at how realistic something looked that I thought it had to be partially CG. And then I found out it wasn't at all. And I was like, oh, mm. So they clearly did not mess around when it came to the work they put into that shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think something that is really notable for this film is um, <laughs> the way that blood is portrayed across like this gorgeous snow that's throughout the entire film, obviously. Like there's just something about the fact that you see this crazy arterial spray and everything just like being strewn across this just like, you know, perfectly white snow um, kind of just like emphasizes just the level of brutality. And that's another thing that I have for my The Good um, is just like how gorgeous this film looks. And I think, you know, obviously uh, the cinematographer Joe Willems definitely deserves a great deal of credit for that. But also the fact that this film is a byproduct of what is seemingly sort of like a lost art form at this point, which is 
films that are set during the nighttime, but they are filmed during the day. And then they use in post-processing like the used um, day for night, um, which, you know, I think the most recent example that I can think of, which I just watched recently, actually, again, for, you know, the millionth time was Nope. Jordan Peele's film from 2022. Oh, he the fact oh. that that film looks so fucking crisp at night is the fact that all of the night scenes are shot during the day, and then it goes through whatever post processing uh, sort of thing that they utilize for that. And the same can be said, I think, about Thirty Days of Night, which is you know a film that at this point is 13 plus years old. Um, the fact that this film looks as good as it does, I think, is almost entirely due to that process. The fact that you never have your vision obscured from what's happening. Everything looks so crisp and so highly detailed. And I think that, you know, for as uh, gruesome and, you know, all the technical proficiency of the gore that is in this film, you know, as good as it looks, you know, a big part of that, I think, is the presentation of it, which goes back to the fact that this was filmed during the day, but then goes through that very intricate process of just making it pop that much more, um, which I think is probably, you know, one of the aspects that really allows us to age, in my opinion, as flawlessly as it has, because, you know, I threw this movie on, you know, I have, uh, it's probably, you know, a Blu-ray that came out a year or two after it was released or something along those lines. And yet, you know, it is just as crisp as ever. And, uh, yeah, I definitely want a 4k version cause I can't even imagine oh how God. this film looks in 4k. I know. I, I thought about that when I was done watching, I'm like, man, if they did a 4k, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I couldn't not. It's, well, that's the other thing too, which is great with the, the filming in the, the day is that when, when they do start playing with shadows and some of the interiors, uh, you know, you have like a, a sequence where there's a vampire that's in this room and it is pitch black. Yeah. Like you can't see shit. <laughs> um, and it really does like amplify <laughs> that these things are just like the unpredictability factor, especially once they're like, I mean, cause you're like, I mean, y- you see these town folk, which I'm going to go into more because I realize that we've only talked about the vampires, but dude, they're that fucking good. They're that fucking good that you need to go on that long. And that's not to say I, I actually I, I think the, the cast is actually a huge thing. Like I I don't have really much b- bad to say about this movie. <laughs> I was literally just thinking that I was like, hmm. My the bad is gonna be fucking nothing. <laughs> like I like for those who were thinking like, oh man, the human they haven't gotten to the human characters, they must suck. It's like no, no, they're actually really good too for the most part. <laughs> uh, but I mean, they have this really good sense of they're dealing with a situation. I mean, first off, this is a town that already you can tell is not dealing with much drama or problems in terms of crime and issues. It's like a tight knit community. And some well, Josh Hartnett is literally like doling out tickets to remind somebody that lives at the far outskirts of town. Like, hey, man, you're still part of this community. Like, that's how little is fucking going on in this town. Yeah. And it's something where you're watching, you know, these people. And, and this is another thing I got to commend this movie on because it goes to show you just with how I mean, when it comes to I mean, first off, obviously, writing and your actors, but as far as direction goes, we don't get a shit ton of time with every character before shit hits the fan, but you have a really good sense of community still just from how they're interacting with one another to a point where it's like not even, it's not even needed. Cause I mean, you get, you 
can kind of tell the vibes from just how these actors are, are treating one another. Uh, to a point where, I mean, I, I think one of the things I think as far as Josh Harnett as the lead sheriff, uh, I mean, he's the, the guy, I mean, by the end of this movie, he earns the title of badass wholeheartedly. But Hell yeah. something I love about his character is he's not a typical movie badass. And he's clearly yeah, someone yeah. that hasn't seen like a lot of like combat or had to be put in some horrid situations. Like it's, at first you can tell he's very taken aback and like uh, something that I like I, I mentioned earlier that I loved is the moment he sees someone has died, which is when he he looks he sees this pile of blood. And he like follows the trail and it leads to this this spike that has a head on top of it of the man running the generators. He instantly goes into the town and telling everybody, lock up and get your guns. Because he's mm-hmm. like, this this is not a drill. I'm not fucking around with this. Which is something I appreciate because, you know, you always have usually in you know, horror, you know, zombies or whatever movies, you need to have these people see something or, you know, before like anyone really believes what's going on where he's just instantly like, I need to get these people in town aware that someone is dead and something is wrong. Uh, and it's, and it's something I, I liked a lot because even when it continues on, I mean, not that it's like, oh, this makes his character incredible, but like the guy's like dealing with like asthma. He's having a very, you know, real thing with his, he's stuck with his ex Stella who was going to be leaving town and she was going to just enter town and never confront him or talk to him. And he finds out that she was in town to do a fire checkup and was going to just leave him. And like everyone in the town, I mean, it's like that small town thing of like, okay, well, there's nothing that's going to be kept secret between these people and like, you know, people speak, (laughs) you get that sense from it. Um, And yeah, I mean, like there's one point he has like an asthma attack and he doesn't have an inhaler. So he's like kind of out of it, uh, which leads to some shit, which we'll be getting into. Uh, And I mean, like, yeah, when it comes to like the fighting and stuff like that, he's you know, he's kind of having to, you know, use his environment and just try to figure out how to, they have that whole period where they're like, how do we kill these things? And he, the first one where he really gets a kill is he's like, well, I'm going to, well, that's actually, oh God damn it. I'm going to be going into so many things I like. Uh, <laughs> it's hard I'm to sorry. stop yourself, right? Cause it's just like, no dude, please. It's the thing where it's like, there's so much positive for this film that it's like, yeah, man, it's like, you can't not talk about all of it at once. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. One thing, which, so the thing that leads to Eben to his first vampire kill is he sees one of his friends who was some, who was the man that we saw earlier, whose wife was ripped out the window. He's under a house and he's kind of calling to him and he's like, Oh shit. He's there's someone else alive. You know, I got to get him out of there. And he does. And there's a a, cut. There's, two sequences in this movie that have it, but this movie does an excellent job with people transitioning into vampires. Like, I mean, when you see him, his eyes are off, but this is also during a storm. Eben's like trying to get certain places so that he can help this group survive and outlast his younger brothers there, you know, Stella who he's like still has like, you know, feelings for obviously and these people that he's like, that are kind of depending on him a bit. And 
So he's not sitting there like, oh, what's up? Is there anything wrong with this guy's face? Like, he just heard his voice and he's like, I'm going to help him. And soon finds that, hey, he's kind of transitioning and he's like, I'm kind of hungry. And he's like, I'm just, you know, I might just lay into you right here. And he's like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and he basically gets him tangled up into a swing. And you're thinking like, OK, he's going to shoot him in the head or something. But he lost his pistol. So he's by a, a recently cut up pile of wood. There's an axe. And he's just like, well, let's see if the head chop works. And he finds out that'll do it. Uh, I mean, the vampires themselves even address like to not turn people to remember to remove their heads. But for the yes. for the human people, they don't know that. So it was it was nice seeing like, well, <laughs> there is one vampire he shoots and his head blows in half. Yeah. Like, it's like a shocking because you're like, holy shit. Uh, and but I appreciated that it was like, oh, OK, like they're like, OK, they are human enough that basically decimating them will do it and uh yeah it it becomes but from that point that's like his first kill i mean really up until then it's them kind of being tormented by ben foster just kind of basically being the hype man for the vampires (laughs) (laughs) like to put it lightly (laughs) well since you brought him up again like ben foster is definitely one of my entries for the good because oh that yeah. guy does not get every single film that he is in he leaves a mark on that film um typically for the better right and i think that oh yeah with this film not only his fucking appearance like has he's a hall of fame caliber for like gnarliest teeth in a movie because they are <laughs> black <laughs> and gross and wet and disgusting looking but also just the way that he is able to you know, perfectly capture, I think, the essence of that sort of Renfield character where it's like somebody that's being promised something that goes to these extremes and then, you know, inevitably is not going to be given the reward that they want. Um, And I think that, you know, something that you mentioned that I wanted to kind of champion was just, you know, the fact that they want to decapitate all the people that they come across kind of just further speaks to how they view their prey is just like filth, basically. It's not only that these people are below us, but they're not even people or they're not even things that are worthy of our uh, attention other than when we're feasting on them. Um, But I think also just like the intro to Ben Foster's character has probably my favorite shot of the entire film. And that's saying something considering how good this movie looks. And that's when Ben Foster's standing on the shore. Oh, that's a beautiful shot. And he's looking back and you see that boat that's just like anchored out a ways from, uh, you know, the shore and whatnot. It's in the, this icy tundra, basically. And you that tells you everything you need to know about the vampires. We don't need to know their backstory. We already realize like, oh, these are creatures that have traveled a great distance, probably across the world. And they're here because this is, you know, a fe- the perfect feeding ground uh, for them and for what they want to set out to do. Um, and I just fucking love that shot. The fa- it's so menacing. It's so disturbing. And it tells you everything you need to know about the, the journey that has uh, occurred long before the film began. And then on top of that, he's also, you know, like you're not thinking about it at that point, but you realize like, oh, this is also hit for him, like his potential last sunset. Because he's like, you know, he's going into town and he then he's like instantly goes into the town just to get a drink and shit in like the most scuzzy way possible. <laughs> Can't even get a drink and can't even get raw meat. I love he has that line where he's like, 
you won't give me a drink, you won't give me meat. What are you gonna do? <laughs> like some shit like that. Like that, yeah, perfect. I mean, that's the thing with his performance too. Is he's so perfect at being creepy that he comes yeah. off as intimidating, but then like when anyone steps up, you realize, oh, okay, he's not that yeah. much of a physical threat. But my God, can he? Yeah, his his hype man mentality of the vampires <laughs> when he's in that jail cell is so good because like you have Eben's younger brother in there, and they're all in the sheriff station. <laughs> And he's just like going off and he's just like yelling to just shut the fuck up. Like stop talking. And he's just like, try to run, try to hide. <laughs> he's like, you feel that chill? That's death approach. And you're just like, yeah. you know, and everyone in there is just like, what the fuck is with this guy? Look. And like to the point, I mean, at first, I mean, and I would probably be the same way. I mean, Evan, when he's first addressing these things, he's just like, who's coming? Like he doesn't, he's like, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, he's clearly out of his mind. Um, and it's, it's just really unsettling. I mean, even when, uh, Ben Foster, you know, there's a period where he's like, they left him. He feels like they left him cause he was cuffed. He was inside this, he was like inside the cell and he sees that they already started and didn't do anything with him. So he thinks that they left him, uh, which is probably would have been better for him. Uh, and then there's a sequence with him. He's in the jail and he's cuffed up. And Danny Houston comes in, you know, Marlowe to, and he's basically kind of, you know, sweet talking him. And uh, that leads to him, him just uh, offing him immediately. So you realize like, oh, they don't even, like he makes a brief comment that he appreciates what he did for them. that He did all they asked, but they didn't fucking care <laughs> at all. <laughs> and it really, but it does also add to that sense of like, they really don't want fucking anything to do with anybody unless they have to yeah like it's it's really i mean even like when it gets goes later into when they use a little girl like i like you have no doubt in their mind that they're just gonna kill her when they're done with her and that she's purely bait uh it's it's crazy but like yeah the the i mean i guess going back to the people though like you have this group and mark boone jr is also another actor i love like anytime he shows up and stuff he always like leaves a mark but I appreciated that they didn't make him as far as going against types. Cause yeah, the first scene you see him, he's working on his truck and oil's coming out and kind of going into the road and Eben writes him up for it. Like you said, to kind of as a reminder and also like, Hey, you know, you are still a part of a, this community and you know, he's kind of a little bit of a prick back and like, as the movie continues though, and then he ends up being a very like, you know, he, he steps up to the plate to help, actually fairly quickly he has one moment where he's like okay i'm gonna go like take these things on and stella has to stop him to be like we need you because eben wasn't there at the time and he like you know he kind of you know in his own way like opens up and realizes like i need to be here to help these folks and he's not you know because they kind of set him up like you're thinking he's just going to be an asshole kind of to everybody and they don't do that with him uh, and, uh, and also has the, like, I guess I would say out of everyone, the, I guess the most, <laughs> I guess the, the coolest of the deaths, I suppose. I don't, well, he, you think at first he, he's going to have the coolest death. Cause he's like, I'm, you're not eating me. And then he like fucking blows up. Uh, a building that him and a bunch of vampires are in and it's like awesome 
But then right afterward, you see he's he survived the explosion. And he's, like, crawling on the ground in pain. And he's just... And that's the other thing, too, as far as, like, that kind of the dread of this movie. Is you just see all these vampires slowly kind of converging and circling him. And he gets his... And essentially, he gets his head caved in. Yeah, he gets fucking foot. stomped. Yeah, he literally he gets stomped by by Marlowe. And like a and it wasn't like a quick stomp either. He like kind of puts his foot on his head and he's like kind of talking shit to him and then just kind of slowly crushes his foot in and you're like, "My god." Uh but as far as the characters go, I, I, another thing as far as the humans like with Stella and Eben in a lesser film they're them being exes and you know that you know being a little spiteful towards each other i think would have been a bigger element but like i felt like they handled that very maturely for the most part and like oh like they're written like actual adults yeah you know it it pops up periodically and it's often for comedic effect like you have people you mentioned like the small town shit people are usually like chiding them about it where it's just like yeah, you. I think it's uh, Eben's partner where he's like, yeah, you can shack up with us since you're stranded here now for the next 30 days, but it's going to cost you to tell us what the hell's the matter with you two. Like little moments like that, like, I don't know. I think if it's done for comedic effect, it's not a big deal. At the same time, it is somewhat of like a, a weak thread, I think, that is throughout the entire film, but it it holds, right? It's not the thing where it's like it's done to a degree that it ends up detracting overall from the focus of the film. And if anything, it makes for a really, really fantastic ending. Not that I want us to jump oh, too, too yeah. far ahead. Yeah. Well, um, I, yeah. I mean, I agree yeah. totally with like some of the earlier stuff. There is some of that like lighter humor before shit starts hitting the fan. And they, but there is one instance where she makes a comment and it's actually really cool. Cause it kind of wraps up everything in terms of like, you, you learn everything about what's going on with them in a sentence but <laughs> yeah. it's hysterical because of Eben's reaction and the timing of it is they're stuck in this attic <laughs> and it's just a small group of them now <laughs> and people have been massacred and all this shit. And they're looking out and they see uh, a young woman going, calling for help and stuff. And which is another really unnerving scene because they're like looking down like, Oh, we got to go help this girl. But Eben like kind of looks and he's like, no, he's like, cause look up there. And like on all the, the the vampires are all on the buildings around her, just kind of waiting for someone else to come out. Yeah, and which is something also that I think is really well done about this movie is the sense of survival and that they're not going to, they don't take unnecessary risks for the most part, as far as like the main core group, mm-hmm. and that they're like this really sucks, but we genuinely can't. There's nothing we can do about this. And unless we just want everyone to die. And, uh, but that sequence with Stella and Evan is basically, they see that. And then she's like, well, I guess it's good. I guess it's good. You never wanted kids. And he gives her this look of just kind of shock of like, like right now is when you're going to make a fucking joke. How can you drop this on me now? like, Like, he's just like, like his eyes, his reaction is perfect, which is why I kind of give a pass to it because it was a good enough payoff where I was like, okay, that was well done. Meanwhile, they're in this attic trying to remain completely silent, and you can tell he wants to say something so bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
the other characters we don't get a ton of time with, but we do get a good sense that they're kind of there for one another. I mean, you brought up, we were, you talked, you sent me a text about one of them, <coughs> which is there's a character with his dad that has dementia, which in itself is not funny. <laughs> Correct. Uh, but we just, Within the context of the film. The context which of is the, fictional. Yes. Within the context of the film, though, there is a sequence with him that it's like, you can't help but laugh because he's like almost basically as smooth and quick as a vampire where his dad forgets what's going on and he goes downstairs and he's like, pack up. He's like, I want to eat. And like, he's like, I want to get out of here. And they're like, no, 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 no. You'll go. If you go out there, you'll die. And then they have like kind of a nice moment together. And then he goes like, I need to go to the bathroom. And like, okay, you go to the bathroom, but remember don't flush, you know? So he goes and you hear like a quick kind of shift in a window open and he's gone. And not only is he gone, we don't see him at all for the rest of the movie. <laughs> He's Johnny on the spot on getting the spot. out of there. Yeah, like we were saying, like he might, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's the implication is he's dead and they got him. But I, I, I told Jay, I, like, I, I like to think that he made it out somewhere safe and warm. <laughs> that might be wishful thinking. You know, but yeah, because we don't see him. And, his, and then obviously his son goes out to try to save him and that doesn't go well. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I liked the main group for the most part. I mean, what are your what are, as far as the human characters? What were your, your feelings towards them? Yeah, you know, I think considering how large the cast is, um, well, I guess suppose I should start by saying like the setup for this film and the fact that they're able to empty a majority of the town while still having a pretty sizable group hanging back is again like a pretty smart uh, sort of I suppose plot device, right? The fact that a majority of people are leaving for the 30 days of night because who the fuck wants to be there for 30 days of night, right? And the people that are hanging behind are more or less the people that are essential to establishing that this town will continue to thrive, right? It's the cops, it's the people running the various facilities and whatnot. And, you know, they still have a pretty sizable crew of people that end up mostly being a body count. Um, but I thought that, yeah, you know, overall... They do a good job of introducing these characters, giving us just enough to know about them that, you know, when they die, it's notable more than just like, oh, that's the guy with, you know, X, Y or Z features. Um, and I think that, you know, for the most part, even characters like Bo, who is, you know, viewed as being the outsider and whatnot, he gets to have some semblance of an arc, um, which I think is important, again, when you're talking about these various characters that kind of sidesteps that idea that like, oh, everybody in a horror film is more or less disposable. But in this, every time somebody dies, it is at least noticeable, even if it's just for a moment, you know, a momentary pause and whatnot. But the lead, you know, Josh Hartnett, who uh, is more or less a treasure, who's thankfully, you know, we're getting to see him in some more notable roles. So happy like, he was just, an Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, dude, just this year. I mean, I was looking at his filmography, getting to be in fucking Oppenheimer getting to be in the longest episode, which I consider to be like a short film of uh, Black Mirror against Aaron Paul, like playing against him. Um, just getting to see him be a little more prevalent. Oh, he was also in uh, Wrath of Man. But I mean, just getting to see him, um, you know, thrive in a genre film in this film um, was great. And, you know, it's the type of thing where it's like, fuck, I wish he would do more shit like this instead of like Hollywood homicide. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of those movies yeah. from the fucking ages ago, which is probably actually not too many years before this, but 
Um, you know, it's just nice to see people that get to thrive within a genre of film such as this. Um, they get to give it a little more either emotion or depth or so forth. But, you know, um, I would say him and, you know, his love interest and whatnot, like, again, it's I'm not going to say it's the best romance I've seen in a horror film, but th I would say it's one of the most fitting endings for a horror film that has a subplot of a romance, because um, I think that ending definitely hit a lot harder than uh, it did for me initially when I saw this film a few, you know, long time ago. Uh, and sub subsequent rewatches, but that's part of the uh, the joy of getting to rewatch films over and over. You know, they hit you at different points in your life for different reasons. This I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, I I'll, I'll go more into that ending too uh, in a little. But as far as other characters, I did want to give a shout out also to uh, when Carter dies in this. Yes. He's the, you know, he's a character that was in it and he had some lines and helped enough that he established he was there. Um, he wasn't super prevalent, but his death scene, like I, I at least rewatching it this time too, hit me a lot harder than it had in the past. Sure. Uh, he's very much you actually he he tries to so basically what happens with Carter is he oh to talk about it no, Jesus Christ I'm gonna just start piling shit again. Um, <laughs> Please go off. He go he. Essentially, Carter is attacked in a sequence with a little girl that's amazing. It's so they basically they go to the store, essentially, so they can get enough food and everything to survive. Like they go in there and they're grabbing like all the dry goods and stuff like that, just so that they can make it. I told my wife I wouldn't live off Oreos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, and so they're like in survival mode, trying to do stuff, and they hear a little noise of like kind of some like gush and munching and you're just like oh dude don't go over there and they do and you see the back of a little girl hunched over a body you know sucking blood but then she has like this clear sweet little voice in english and mm. she's the only one the vampire in this movie that speaks any english and she goes she was she's like she's like i'm done playing with this one <laughs> and then she like kind of turns around and her eyes are just pure black and uh, got the fangs and she just starts going at everybody like just like trying to kill them. And Carter is one of the characters that does get bit by her. Uh, but, you know, she doesn't take his head off or get enough of him. So it, it, he gets he starts slowly turning. But to just touch on that scene real quick, uh, you're thinking like, oh, they're going to like probably take this girl out by blowing her up or something on the side uh no no <laughs> they fucking grab her put her to a wall and evan's brother has to get an axe and cut her head off which you don't see in graphic detail but like the noise was enough <laughs> the, the axe is a recurring uh method for killing vampires in this film and yeah you know they might uh skimp on the the details, thankfully, when he has to kill a child, but uh, they certainly do not when he has to kill, you know, a full-grown vampire later on. Oh my god, that scene! I that is a, a standout, and that kill is honestly I, is so impressive. It's gross and it's awful, but it's so impressive. All these years later, still that impressive. I, well, that was the one I, I looked up. I mean, we'll go into it once we get towards the end, but that was the one I looked up to be like, okay, how much of this was CG? And it's like, oh, no, they made, like, a, a model and everything. I was like, what? <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so that sequence with the little girl is really well done. Just to kind of even amp up even more. Because the other thing that's important with that sequence is at the end, they go like, do we even know who this kid is? And is oh, she yeah, from yeah. our town? And because you do realize like, I, I don't, because rec- they all say like, I don't recognize her. So you're just like, is this like girl from somewhere else that they did this to that ended up turning? So she just tagged along. That kind of speaks to that shot that I mentioned early on where it's like they took this boat to get there and it's like, how many other fucking villages or towns have they done this to? And, you know, there's something about sort of the the ancient nature of them and what, you know, generally is the the sort of lineage of vampires. It's like, okay, yeah, they're probably from some part of Europe that is a little more inland or something along those lines. And just thinking about all the different places that they could have done this to. Um, and the fact that we don't have to have a whole sort of, uh, I suppose, scene revolving around trying to understand their origins or something. It's like, no, this is just a byproduct of the bare bones information that we're given here. Nobody knows who this fucking kid is. They could have been from anywhere. And just, I think, thinking about that for as much for as long as we have based on what little information is in the film um, kind of just speaks to the world building, I think, overall. It is. And I mean, so, and the other thing too is just the subtlety to some of the details in the movie. But uh, to not go completely off track, to go back to Carter (laughs) real quick. Yeah. Is, you know, the thing with Carter's death is he realizes he's turning and he tries to reveal it at the end of the uh, attack with the young girl. And Stella and Eben talk about how they can go uh, to the sheriff's station. Um, so they kind of cut him off when he was kind of, you can kind of tell like his voice is a little off and stuff and he's trying to say something. So they all go to the sheriff station where he reveals he was bit and he gives like, and it's, and it's once again, like we don't know much about this guy, but he gives like this little speech about, you know, how he had lost his family in a drunk accident, Mm. which you think at first, like, like from just talking about it, it sounds like, oh, it's just like melodrama to add to this character's death. But the Hector is, uh, I think his name's like Nathaniel Lee. Um, he's so good and convincing in that scene. And he's not, and all he's doing is he's like, I just want Eben to basically just kind of put me out so that I don't hurt anyone. And it's a really rough scene because Eben, and you could tell Eben is, it's kill like, he has this just like look on his face of like, he knows what he wants, but he like is trying to process what he's about to do. Yeah. Cause he has to bring him into another room essentially and cut his head off with an ax. Well, Eben even says like, I think because um, Eben's love interest basically says like, she tries to have that typical thing where it's like, Oh, that, that can't be our last resort. We can't do that. And Eben basically interrupts her and says like, he's made his decision basically. Which I think, if anything, kind of just reinforces the overall tone of the film, but also where these people are at. Yeah, the helplessness. That's a better way to put it, right? The helplessness of where they're at in this current moment. Yeah, and then it basically, and it cuts to a scene, and, and good on for St- Stella uh, is played by Melissa George. Uh, basically, it goes from a pan, it has a panning shot where it followed Eben and uh, Carter going in, and it kind of pans to Melissa George like just trying not to completely lose, you know, herself. And she's crying and like starts covering her ears. Cause she doesn't even want to hear the thuds of the ax. Uh, it's a re- and it's a really, it's a bleak scene, but it's very well done. 
um, to a point where you're just kind of like, you know, and at that point, especially in the film, you have, you don't have too many people left. So you're like, man, like, not only is this one gone, but this one, you know, they had to do themselves. And it's just like, it really amplifies like what a horrid situation it is to be in. Uh, so another character that I think is uh, important to bring up is Billy, who is the deputy to Eben. Uh, because uh, we see Billy early on. He's played by, uh, by uh, I think it's, I hope I pronounce it right, Manu Bennett, who some people would know from Spartacus. And I, he played uh, Deathstroke in the Arrow show. Oh, no fucking way. He was in Spartacus? Yeah, he, uh, he was Crix. Was it Crixus? Is that his name? Oh, wow. Okay. Holy shit. How did I not realize that? <laughs> I know. Maybe maybe because he's wearing a huge puffer jacket because he's in fucking Alaska. Yeah, Crixus. Yeah, okay. I just... <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's he's in the... So essentially, he's a, the deputy and we do... So as far as we're concerned, uh, we, he could be just dead for most of the movie. And <laughs> yeah. so... Cause we see him early on and he's like very chummy with everybody. And we know he's got a wife and two girls and uh, it's uh, yeah. So he's basically gone. And so for most of the movie and you just assume he's probably gone. And when later in the film, uh, Eben sees a flashlight at a house at his, his deputies, his friend's house. And he's doing um, light signals with a flashlight and he's does it back and he's like oh shit he's alive and so they they go to you know check on him and and see what's up and he's clearly uh a emotional wreck and you're like uh the vampires must have got his family and uh there's you know a reason for that and you're going okay uh, and then Evan's kind of walking around the house and uh, goes into a bedroom to find that there are the bodies of the family in a bed with bloodstains implying that they were shot. And you come to find that, and he tells them very, I mean, it's not kept a secret that basically he heard the screaming outside and decided he'd missed his family. So that they don't turn into vampires. Uh, I guess, can we say mist? Without, is that okay to spoil the mist? I guess I just spoiled an entirely different movie. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> at, this point, at this point, the mist is... Uh, the, the ending of the mist is uh, pretty synonymous yeah. with the actual film yeah. itself. But so. Yeah, but essentially, yeah, he misted his family... <laughs> and his, I love that. His, I love that verbiage. He missed it. His family <laughs> and uh, his gun uh, malfunctioned afterwards, so he couldn't bring. So he couldn't kill himself, and then decided he didn't want to be alone anymore. Uh, and it's a really just dark scene. <laughs> Once it like pops yeah. up, because you you're sitting there like, oh hey, that's him. And uh, yeah, and this guy just is not there anymore either. Like even as it continues and they save him, like he's like his survival instincts, like everything. Like he he's just not there. <laughs> he's. I mean, I don't know how you could be after doing something like that, but you do kind of go into and because you see how Eben and, and Stella react to him. Like it, you you do go into question of like why didn't he even like 
try to see if anyone else was trying to survive or anything. Like you do have that bit in your head where you can go. I mean, if you see half the shit that happens in this movie, you will be scarred. Like if you saw that in real life, like, I guess I can't speak to how I would feel, but uh, you know, missing your family is pretty, I don't know. That's pretty rough. (laughs) To not even, I guess, I mean, we don't, I mean, there's been some sort, I mean, that's another thing this movie does really well is they do really well with the passage of time. Mm. I mean, some of it's subtle, just like Josh Harnett throughout the movie, like growing facial hair and things like that. Yes, I picked up on that a lot more this time. But they do a good job with that and like the characters like minds and what state they're in and how long it's been. But uh, with Billy's character, though, like you can tell that he did do this earlier than just that day like Mm -hmm. he's been sitting there stewing in it and you're just like oh okay like when did this happen because the other thing too which makes that scene even more eerie is throughout the movie there are a couple times where you hear gunshots and you're not sure what they are and this is through a passage of time and there was a point they hear they hear like three gunshots and i'm like i wonder if that was just like and I feel like as tight as this movie is, it probably was intentional to be like at that point was probably when he did it. Sure. But it makes it that much more eerie that you're like, okay, at that point in time was probably when it happened then. God damn. That's a whole new facet to this you film know, that I never thought of it's before. Like, <laughs> it's really just kind of like, I mean, it's depressing, but sure. You're, but at the same time, you're like, damn, like that's, yeah, there's a lot of thought that went into it that normally <laughs> just like wouldn't be there. Uh, but I mean, I mean, how about I mean, I've been, I've been fucking popping off. I so mean, I mean, it's hard not to when you're talking <laughs> about this movie. As, I mean, I, I have some more that we'll get into when we start going towards the end of the movie. But is there anything like kind of within this point that you want to bring up with it? Um, you know, I think I. This is the thing, right, is that I think we've covered so much of it that it's like, I think we've hit upon my big points for the good. And we kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, we don't have a great deal of the bad. Um, So I'm sure there's like just a couple of moments that we haven't necessarily brought up or maybe we just barely brought up. But like, I think one talking point um, that needs to be said at this point is just like, and it's more of a question for you since you picked this movie and we obviously are both huge fans of it, like... (laughs) Is this low-key one of the best comic book movies ever made? You know what? That's such a a great fucking point to be made. Because it's one where I don't even, like, almost, I almost forget. Because I, because I, I mean, like, I, I've, I've had more of a connection to the movie than the book, even though I do love the book. Like, the book's great. Like, everyone should read, like, if you like the movie, like, I encourage reading the book as well. I've somehow never seen or never read the book. I think when I was a kid, like that art style did not appeal to me. Now as an adult, like I'm much more in line with that type of uh, art style and just like how affecting it is and how I suppose just how foreign it is to a majority. Like it's more, I view that more as like a collection of paintings almost just because of the stylistic uh, nature of the 30 days and night well, books. Well, that's the great thing about it is Ben Temple Smith's art. It's like messy, but, in- intentionally so right and uh the vampire designs in the movie though like you can totally see in the makeup and in some of the designs of some of the vampires like some of those some of the characters in the book influencing those looks and in how they were drawn 
but no, I'm actually I'm I'm with you 100%. Like I I cuz I, I but, but the thing is as much as I like like the book and stuff and love the movie, I always forget to be like, "Oh, it's a comic movie." It's a comic book right. movie. But it is uh it, I I'm with I would say it's 100% one of the best comic book movies without question. I mean, truthfully, this is one of my favorite horror movies, period. Yeah, um, I, it's neck and neck with uh Let the Right One In for me. And if any, you know, if anything, it's probably my favorite vampire movie. Yeah, I, I love Let the Right One In. And I mean, there's like other fun vampire, like Daywalkers is a fun vampire movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've enjoyed that. But this movie is just has such a uniqueness to it that has managed to just age beautifully. Uh, you know, because I, I was even like sitting there thinking like, man, like some of this the effects and maybe some of the shots maybe won't age so great. And then like after I watched it, I was like, it still looks really damn good. Well, you mentioned that fucking axe to the head. Yes. Um, with, um, I forget what the character's Billy. name is. That, yeah, Billy. When Billy gets killed, like that is probably one of the first examples of just like incredibly gnarly practical work that I, a modern practical work that I saw. You know, like obviously growing up as a kid, I saw plenty of monster movies and stuff like The Thing and The Fly and all these movies that had fantastic practical work. But, you know, seeing a modern horror film at for the period when I saw this movie, like a year, like a year after it came out and seeing that, I was just like, holy fuck. Like that was so eye opening in the best, most traumatic way possible. I remember after that scene, I was like, man. My parents definitely do not want me watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was it wasn't yeah, for the rest there's of a reason it. I did that double feature at a friend's house and not at my house. Yeah, it's uh, it takes you back. I mean, the other thing, too, with that scene is uh, once again, talking about like the transitions in this movie, because they get attacked by a vampire and they have this grinder that's in the room yeah. that they use. And they throw the vampire. So basically, they're all being attacked. The muffin monster, right? Yeah. And <laughs> basically, you know, Eben and them get caught off guard being attacked by a, a vamp. And uh, Billy, like, out of... I mean, this is also after Billy's been wandering and just losing his fucking mind. Uh, decides, like, he kind of, like... He's like, oh, shit, I got to do something. And he goes and pushes the vampire into it. But he goes too far. And essentially his hand gets stuck and it just shreds his arm. Like yeah. it is a, like just the arm prosthetic alone was gnarly. Like, um, there's certain movies like where they'll do like certain prosthetic work. Like another big one for me, like there's one, another movie that I just like love and true and dear to my heart is green room. Uh, where they have just like something that's not necessarily the most violent thing in the movie, but like they do a prosthetic so well that you're just like, Jesus Christ, that looks <laughs> awful. Um, and I'm sure, you know, in green room, what scene I'm talking about, but Oh yeah. 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 But haunted my dreams for many. Oh years. my Lord. Yeah. So I always really appreciate when they like really do try to make the practical work. I mean, the other thing too, is it, you know, when you have scenes like this with characters that there are these emotional stakes, if it looks really cheesy, it's going to probably more elicit a laugh than like an oh shit type sure. thing. So the fact that they were able to do that and then that transitions into him screaming in pain with a slow transition of him starting to do the vampire screech, which is really well done. Mm. And yeah, then it leads to a 
I mean, we've people have had their heads chopped off in this movie, but this is like the first time you're thinking it's going to be like like the majority of them. It's mostly off screen, and you see the aftermath. Maybe you see a hit or two, but this scene doesn't. There is no cuts. There's a one cut at the very beginning when he does the first hit, but then after that, you just see the whole thing, and it's just like if someone told me they killed Billy, the uh, Manu Bennett for that scene i would have probably been like jesus i mean i i mean it looked really really good i guess that would explain it because it's an insane well, shot one of the one of the most brutal but beautifully shot scenes in the entire movie i think is when and you i think mentioned it earlier was when eben comes across that uh the husband who tried to go after his wife who got pulled under one of the houses and then we thought he was dead, but then he was alive. But then we find out he's actually turned. Um, and you have that really gorgeous shot of him trying to kill Eben, but then he gets tangled up in the swing and then Eben hacks him in the neck. And you get that, you know, that panned out shot of then the guy after Eben's hacked him to death with the ax. And he's kind of just standing there still tangled, but you see the snow falling and you see obviously the pool of blood on again, you know, the way this film captures arterial spray onto this canvas of, you know, fresh snow. And it's one of those moments that is, you know, I think really an example of just like this film's ability to capture really gruesome things, but doing so in a way that is like pretty artistic, I suppose, which sounds like, you know, hoity-toity or whatever, but it's kind of like just the way in which they're able to use the environment, but then the camera just lingers there for a moment and captures this really fucked up scene and the implications of that, but it just feels kind of like, oh, this is almost like a, a painter made this scene um, in a way, which I think is, you know, when I asked you that question about like the best comic book movie, and that's like such a reductive way, I think, to talk about films in general, but it's like, no, this is, this is a, film. a film that I mentioned along those lines because of the fact that it actually feels like, oh, this is a scene out of a comic book. And I would assume that's a panel from the actual comic just because of the way it's composed and the way that it's captured. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you don't expect when you when, when a movie like this is like released, you don't expect that much craft and care to go into it. So when it happens, it's very you know it's 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 a, i mean it, it, it well one thing you appreciate like wow they really did put in the effort to make this good but then on the other end it's it it just enhances that like whether it be a fear factor or the emotional toll that the character's going through and like allowing a scene like that to like linger a bit i mean that's cuz that is like the first time where eben really has to deal with a vampire fully Yes, so it's also yeah. a time, and then not only that, he had it's it's someone he's friends with. So it just makes it like it kind of an, not only an emotional gut punch, but this haunting view of this body kind of just tangled up in the snow, and him just like trying to get his composure. Uh, it's 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 a lot, but it's 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 great. Um, I mean, as far as I guess, <laughs> not to. <laughs> I still have some good left that I, I dude, <laughs> please. I, I well, first one thing I, I that is just the, is it not just the most metal fucking thing to inject vampire blood directly into your veins? 
I'm going to say it does not get more metal than that. I'm going to be definitive in that regard. <laughs> I remember as like a young, like high school kid watching that shit being like, this is the most badass thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like yeah. This guy just intentionally like, I'm just going to shoot this shit up and just let's hope it turns me enough. Like first, and that's also a really good sequence of like leading to that where, it's essentially Stella. There's a little girl that's used for bait, which we did mention earlier. And Stella actually manages to kind of snag her and they're hiding under a car. And at this point, the vampires are at the fuck it mode. So they just start burning the town down. Oh, well, I don't know if we mentioned that. That's one of the coolest plot points, I think, of the movie um, was the fact that like they've been doing this crazy campaign of just feasting on this town and destroying the town. But then they realize, oh no, well, they already realized, but it was part of their plan where they're like, we have to completely destroy this town to hide any semblance that we were here. And just make it and look that, like an accident. Exactly. And like, that's one of the coolest aspects, I think, overall, is that it's like, you know, they are, they act like wild animals, they hunt like wild animals, they feast like wild animals, but like, they are a lot more methodical than their behavior sometimes is indicative of, which I think makes them even fucking scarier. Yeah. It's, 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 tr well, it's trippy too, because the other thing when they like fight, cause they're at the, the like mill at the end and they're, and Stella and them are like kind of in the middle of this park square and you know, they're, which is also kind of like cool with the ticking time clock of these vampires, like day, they, they are all aware daylight is coming and how close they're kind of cutting it. So they just start burning it down as they're still hunting them. And, uh, you know, Marlowe's just kind of like, okay, well, let's just, let's just finish this shit up. Like this shouldn't be this difficult. <laughs> right. Uh, but Eben, you know, he sees, and like, he is put in a position where like Stella and the kid will die, whether it be to flames or the vamps, if they try to run. So he basically, in a last-ditch effort, decides, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to Billy's body and basically take some of his blood. They have, like, a, a med kit and stuff there with some syringes, and he basically injects himself with it. Uh, and, yeah, Ginny does it so he can go fight the vampires, which... Well, he has one of the fucking coolest kills in the entire film, where he oh. has the fisticuffs <laughs> moment... And that, well, I'm not going to spoil it. You, you, no, you do. No, you pick. For <laughs> no, dude, you, you are free to because it is fucking great. Well, he basically punches the hole through the back of Marlo's fucking head, which is <laughs> the most metal way to kill this piece of shit that has been, you know, killing everybody that lives in your home. It, it's so good. I mean, there's also this slow build up with Eben. Um, and also another shout out to Brian Rizel who does the score. Uh, cause it's a very like just kind of like, bunch of just it's it's mostly just kind of like atmospheric score with some kind of you know sometimes there's some creepy strings and beats and stuff but uh there when Eben is starting to kind of go over there and he's slowly transitioning they get like kind of kicking the soundtrack with these like heavy war drums as he's kind of walking over slowly trying to like breathe it in and then he's kind of feeling that the light that's approaching is kind of burning his skin so he like puts his hood up and he's just like basically just kind of going in like, well, if I'm going out, this is how it's happening. And it's, and the thing I loved about the fight too, is once again, is Eben's not like a, a, like a trained combatant. Like most of the fight is 
genuinely him basically getting his ass kicked by Marlowe. And he's getting hits in. And there's act- and there's a really cool shot between him and Marlowe when Marlowe looks at him and it's like, this motherfucker just, he, he, he's, he took our blood. Like he's like, feels like, <laughs> like gross. Like, Oh, he's like using our stuff against us. Cause he like kind of pulls him back after breaking, yeah, he like breaks Eben's hand back in half. And then he kind of <laughs> like, was like looking at him and like, like he grabs his lip to move it up to be like his, te- or his oh, fuck his teeth are sharp. Uh, Let me see those chompas. Yeah. And then, yeah, it leads to that sequence that Jay just mentioned where he's, like, kind of getting his ass kicked. And then Marlo goes for, like, a a jump attack. And he just rails his arm through his head. (laughs) And it looks awesome. Like, enough to the point where you're, like, enough said. Because the other vampires are like, well, fuck this shit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that pack mentality, right? The, The fucking alpha just got the back of his head canoed. Yeah, and so they got that, and then on top of that, the sun's coming. So they were just kind of like, okay, okay, you made your point, dude. And they just, <laughs> like, are backing out. Um, And it's so and that's the thing that's crazy about it. It's like, it's not like some crazy, like, super long fight. But it is really effective. Um, yes. It's, it's especially because, like, with Eben, with where, it, like, because it... it I mean, it's, 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 it's basically his, his last, I mean, it's his last act. I mean, it is his last act of like, you know, he's like, you know, he's saving Stella and this little girl. Mm. So, which makes the next, like basically the ending of the movie, which is, you know, Eben, he's like seeing that the sun's coming up and that his time is kind of, you know, this is it. And then Stella realizing like what he just did for them, uh, and it leads to a really, I mean, like, once again, like, there's not a shit ton of time dedicated to their relationship, but there's enough mm-hmm. that that ending hit hits for me. Well, that's definitely one of my uh, entries for the good, is that the fucking ending is pretty perfect, I think, for the film itself. You know, like I said, it's it's not the strongest of threads, but it is a consistent thread throughout the entire film. Um, and I think that, you know, it it is emphasized when it needs to be in the film. And that fucking ending is, you know, granted the fact that it just abruptly ends as soon as you have that conclusion of him, you know, bursting into ash um, is like a little sudden. I wish that scene had lingered a little longer with her, you know, just being coated in ash, staring at the sunset mm-hmm. or the sunrise rather. Right. Um, but at the same time, like you can't have a better fitting ending than, these two people that basically come together through hell and then, you know, due to the sacrifice of one, one half of that coin. Yeah. I I mean, I think the thing that works with me with it being the ending note is, I mean, well, first off also, like it's a gorgeous shot Mm. of them, like watching the sun come up Um, and they get to share like a final kiss and it didn't come off as cheesy. Like it's like, because you can tell like throughout it, like he's starting to hurt. Yeah. Um, And, God damn, do they make burning in the sun as a vampire look like the most miserable fucking thing? Because <laughs> it's not like he just bursts into a bunch of ash. Like right. his skin is just. Oh, that's another scene we didn't we didn't even talk about. That was great when the UV light. Oh yeah, that's one of the that's one of the coolest moments in the film. Yeah, effects because, in the film. Yeah, because because it, it's cool because like when the vampires like burn in this, it's not like they you know it's not like a blade thing where they explode in the ash. Which is still do- fucking dope in Blade, don't get me wrong, but 
Uh, <laughs> but in this, like, you know, like for the earlier scene is that he flashes this UV light that uh, his grandmother was using to grow pot and they flash a vampire with it and she and they they burn and it like sears into them to a point where it's like there's nothing really they can do. And, you know, it's like a pack does. They had to put out the weak one. Um, but yeah, at the end, you see it in full with Eben because he, he's, you know, there's no obstruction. They're looking directly at the sun and, you know, this is like, you know, where there's glaciers and shit. There's nothing blocking it. So he completely turns into ash, but his body's like still there. It's just his, his out, the outside of it's burnt to a crisp. And he's like screaming and like, you know, and she's cradling him. And I think the reason it works for me, though, is like she's clearly devastated and she's holding him. But Melissa George kind of like there's like a, Stella has like a moment where it, you can see it turn from like sadness to like hatred towards what these things did to this town. Right. Uh, and it's in a way like it's like a it's not like the greatest happy of endings, but. Like it, it leaves a mark. This film could not have a happy ending. No, I would, no. I would I, after everything that happened. This movie, yeah, <laughs> this movie had any semblance of a happy ending. It's like, no, it is a satisfying ending that matches. I think the overall energy that this film has, or the tone of this film, because um, if you have really, you can't have any other ending. You know, my sort of like little critique i suppose of like the shot lingering withstanding it's kind of like okay you really though can't have a happy ending to a film that is so bleak and is so lacking and he's some i mean they literally blacked out the fucking sun for 30 days like there's nothing good that comes of this other than maybe a few people that get to live throughout the entire ordeal um, also a fun fact i read that the town that this is based around actually doesn't have 30 days of night they have an average of 67 days of night oh, in real life, I was, which <laughs> I feel like, you know, not only does 30 days of night sound more catchy than fucking 67 days of <laughs> night, but I would assume that, like, if you actually went with the real amount of uh, night that they had, it might come off as, like, unrealistic to people that wouldn't take the time to actually research it. It would probably sound like bullshit, but 30 days a night. I guess it's the inverse of, like, that Christopher Nolan movie Insomnia where they have 30 days of sunlight. I don't right. remember where. I think that was in Alaska as well. I think, maybe, it, I think but, I'm pretty sure it was. Somewhere but, up. Uh, I just love that this is like the sort of inverse of that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think another thing too is, I mean, I mean, obviously it's a fictional situation with vampires, but I think I, I think anybody regardless of being fiction or not like it's it's a stretch to be like oh we were out there for two months and we made it right like 30 days is like it's a long period it's a long period of time where it's obviously going to be a challenge but where with minimal resources and food you can buy it uh i mean not to say like hey i mean you know i'm sure you know i mean even evan has a line in this where he's like there's a reason we're the ones here is because we're the ones that can live in this shit <laughs> right. uh, and you know I'm sure there are people I mean I don't know I mean I, I, I don't know if I can really speculate on whether the real people of Barrow Alaska could survive a vampire attack for two months <laughs> I don't even think it's called uh, it's not even called Barrow anymore oh did they change oh, they, oh I think I saw something yeah, that they changed the name right I okay. believe it hasn't I can't I certainly can't pronounce the name but it's uh, in line with I think the indigenous roots of that era gotcha okay 
Um, yeah, but yeah, no, 67 days in darkness is crazy. It's uh, definitely, I mean, vampires would love it even more in real life. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> they would even thrive more in that environment. <laughs> yeah. um, but unless we have a few more things for the good, um, and we kind of already stated uh, unless you had something for the bad, I certainly don't actually. You know, that's the thing about <laughs> this might be the first film we've covered that uh, we don't have anything for the bad unless might, you had some an ace up your sleeve. I mean, my only bad is more of just a what the fuck because I thought I just think it's funny. <laughs> Uh, we can get right into the what the fuck then if we like i really like this glaring. isn't gonna be an episode of first because i i genuinely i you know i, I th- yeah i really i just i don't really have anything bad to say about this movie <laughs> yeah without it coming off as me just like really just kind of like trying to like you know claw it just remnants fabricating yeah. a bad yeah <laughs> i i mean it is really bleak Sure. <laughs> so if you don't like bleak movies, like I, I, I would imagine I would like I I wouldn't recommend this. I guess that's a, something I get. I mean, it's not even a bad, but I I wouldn't recommend this to someone who's just a casual horror movie yeah, watcher. That's very fair, but at the same time, but Jesus Christ, it's I don't know. Good. I don't know that that's a slight against the no, horror film, not. right? It's Is that bad. it's like I have there are plenty, and if anything, it's the type of movie that I like to spring upon my uh, my buddies that are not as hardcore horror fans <laughs> just as to you ruin are. their night. <laughs> Basically, yeah. They're like expecting this very sort of like prescribed Hollywood sort of format to a film. And then it's just like, no, it's a big fucking bummer because that's what you deserve. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, all I can say of those things that I just think are just kind of a little odd, but like, honestly, some of them even add to the charm of the movie for me, <laughs> even though there's not a ton of charm. <laughs> but uh, there is the chummiest potential threesome of people i've ever seen in a movie yeah (laughs) early on in the movie and it just makes me laugh every time it's probably one of it's one of the few like joke scenes in the movie but it's basically just they're coming off of a pipeline work and it's just two uh, two guys it's i remember gabe because they yell gabe like eight times um (laughs) but it's just two guys and this uh, girl who are all pipeline workers and like a different kind of pipe yeah (laughs) um and like one of them makes kind of a joke that they should all like go back to like like and like fool around and stuff like that and she kind of like pushes back like nah and you're thinking like hey yeah they're just like fucking around uh and then it becomes very apparent that they all want a bone and that they are serious about a threesome it very quickly goes from like, yo, shut up. You guys are stupid to, all right, we're going to go back to your place and make this happen. Like the 180 is almost instantaneous. Yeah. And then they start rock, paper, scissoring for whose house they go to, yeah. which leads to the two guys being murdered very quickly. <laughs> but it's just funny too. Cause like some the, even the line he gives her, she's like, oh, well maybe I, he's like, He's like, I promise I'll be good. And she's like, well, maybe she's like, well, maybe that won't be fun. He's like, oh, you bad little bitch. And then (laughs) (laughs) just transitions, which is another one of those cool shots where you see. So the first so the one guy gets kind of sucked into darkness and they're just like, well, what just happened? Um, And then 
from there, you see a couple of the vampires kind of slowly kind of coming out of it, and then it cuts. Um, yeah. And it looks really cool. But, yeah, I mean, that's a what the fuck. Um, I also was like, I just think it's hysterical that there's the scene with Eben's brother where he's like, they look like, they like must be like vampires or something. And this is after a bunch of shit has gone down. And Stella's like, vampires aren't real Jake. And you're just kind of like, have you like witnessed you witnessed so much here. <laughs> what is there to question? There is something wrong here. <laughs> um, and I mean, like, yeah, that's like my what the fucks and like potential bad, I guess. And that's not even bad to me. I, yeah, it doesn't sound all just, that like, bad. Quirky. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> so, I guess for me, like... Point, I guess. No, please. It's great getting to chat about a movie where we have almost nothing bad to say, or if not, nothing bad at all. Yeah. Um, for me, I guess my, I guess my first what the fuck was like when Eben is interviewing the owners of all the dogs that got murdered. The wife of the husband that you know they own the dogs. She just goes, "What kind of sick jerk would do this?" And I was like. <laughs> If I had 30 dogs and they all got slaughtered with a knife, I think I'd have some more like severe or harsh w- language. Harsher words than, than jerk. Yeah. Then <laughs> a sick, what a sick jerk. That was like the most Karen response to like this horrific tragedy. Also, she's like not nearly as shooken up as the husband. She's just kind of like, oh, this is, this is, this is an inconvenient kind of thing. Oh, yeah. The husband uh, looks like his world ended and she's just kind of yeah. like, yeah, this kind of sucks. She's like, just yeah, get the guy. Is, I got to get back to my shoes. Yeah. Um, I guess other than that, the only thing is just like I refuse to accept any justification for why the fuck anybody would stay there for the 30 days a night. If you're not powering the power plant or you're not a cop, why the fuck are you staying there? There's no reason. <laughs> they, the there's nothing to there. do. You can't even drink for those 30 days. You can't do anything. What the fuck are you doing up there? I know. Just, when they brought, just go down. When they brought go down to, <laughs> I think, go to Portland. I think that's what somebody's going. They're like, hey, I'm going to go fuck around in Portland for 30 days. Just do it. There's no reason to be up there. No, it's it's uh, it's a lose-lose for the most part. I mean, even that and one How much couple, do we think people looking... are getting to stay there? Like, That's a good question. <laughs> I can't imagine enough. I mean, <laughs> I mean, especially in reality. Num- what would your number be? That I would do it. Yeah. Well, it's for t- I mean, for two. So in reality, it's two months. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And if you're staying there for those two months, you stay there year round, probably. Yeah. So you're there all the time. I mean, I would, I would just be like, I don't know, ten grand a month. I mean, unless it's shit. time and a half for two months straight. Yeah, like I would want a decent chunk of a chunk of money. <laughs> Do you have a sum I mean, in mind? <laughs> oh, jeez, I don't know. Ten grand a month even seems like a little. Oh, geez, I don't that, know. See, that's me trying to be somewhat reasonable. Right. <laughs> that's not me well, just yeah, saying for, like, well, all a hundred percent do it for this. That's me like, I guess I would maybe do it for ten. Sure. <laughs> you get paid minimum wage, but you basically like make your nut for the year the, in those two months. <laughs> at, the, at the potential for a. Uh, fucking uh, vampire attack i would go up to well, like two million a month i mean this film probably completely destroyed the industry in that town based upon just the <laughs> fucking the fear of vampires striking but i don't know man i'd need at least i think 20 20 is good yeah yeah it's a good it's a good number where it's like 
I'd probably still come out of the month being like, fuck, it wasn't worth it. But I'd still be like, okay, but that is 10 grand I didn't have. Sure. I'd probably just like catch up on movies or fucking podcasts. See, it's a different ball game now. Yeah. Well, yeah. At the time in 2007, (laughs) it wouldn't have been as as easy to get through. It'd probably be pretty easy nowadays, but still. If you if they can get internet out there and you just binge watch a bunch of shows over and over, you can watch The Office a lot of times in that period of time. But that is true. Uh, <laughs> I guess in wrapping up, were there any last closing thoughts for your pick for the week? Well, I mean, I don't know if you, you guys can tell. I I, I, I love this movie. <laughs> I think I think we should do another hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> like honestly, I could delve even deeper if we wanted to, but I I mean we've covered everything really that's like you know just to give a picture because i i mean even though we've just spoiled the movie like if you haven't seen this movie i highly recommend it holy shit yeah i couldn't recommend this enough i really couldn't but i mean if we want to go and wrap it up i mean do you have any parting words of anything in the movie you would like to address just that if anybody's like me and is not a huge fan of uh vampire films you definitely have to give this one a try because this will i think just open your eyes to the possibilities of what can be done with that subgenre, but also it completely delivers a new kind of crack on that uh, tried and true, I think, formula that we're all used to. Well said. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, I, I think it's a bummer that this movie has been kind of just forgotten. I feel by a lot of people. I mean, some people you'll bring up the name and they'll be like, "Oh, I kind of remember that was a thing," right? But yeah oh my god i would love a 4k release though please if anyone i mean it's got to be coming i would have to please i mean there's been some 4k releases for movies where i'm like that got a 4k where i'm like 30 days a night has to uh it would look gorgeous i i couldn't hell yeah uh but yeah i mean if we want to go into our ratings yeah uh this will probably i mean i guess i came out strong with my first choice for a solo episode (laughs) hell yeah you did but god damn this will probably be my first but i i genuinely like i mean i know in the world there's no such thing as perfect okay i get it you're you you got me (laughs) uh but this truly is this is this is one of my favorite movies like i i as, as far as a comic book movie goes even in that light like holy shit is this on like the top there and as far as like a horror movie goes i think it's it hits the nail right on the head of having a lot of good suspense and thrills, but at the same time being genuinely disturbing. Mm. Uh, so I, this will be my first sixer on this podcast. Let's fucking go. <laughs> I, I just, I can't, I, I just don't have anything to really shit on. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I really don't. Like I think about it and I'm like, even length time, it's like just at two hours. Yeah. It's not too long. Like it's just it, it knows what it needs to do and then it it bids its it bids its head to do. It literally feels like the perfect example of a 2-hour movie in that if it was a few minutes over, you'd start to groan a little bit, but it doesn't and it reels it in in a way that I think only somebody as uh, experienced as David Slade could really kind of pull off, but for me, yeah, I also, you know, I'm crushing an entire six-pack for this cuz this is <laughs> This is the fucking best vampire movie out there next to, I think, something along the lines of uh, Let the Right One In. And it's the type of film that I've been able to recommend to like my buddies that are not huge horror fans as well. Just because and it's a thing where it's like 
I recommend zombie movies to some of my buddies that don't like horror because they almost don't view it like it's horror. They view it more as like action. Mm-hmm. And that's the same kind of guys that I'm able to give with this film for those friends. Um, but at the same time, as we've kind of just you know been talking about now for almost two hours, the fact that it's able to really kind of sidestep the pitfalls of the genre or subgenre for me that I typically have. And at the same time, there's I don't really have anything negative to say about it, which is you know, rare, as you said, nothing is perfect. I guess, sure, if we want to, you know, microanalyze a certain point here or there that's not as well refined as it could be or this or that. But like, I feel like for a two hour movie, it's pretty breezy, which is rare, I think, for a lot of horror movies. Typically for me, it's like most horror movies, I'm like, if that shit is more than, I don't know, 100 minutes, we got some issues there. But I think with something like this, um, it really does utilize that setting to the best of its ability and the sort of mystery behind it. Um, and it's fucking gorgeous to look at from start to finish. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they did that shot during the day, post-processing for night, um, which just makes it look crispy as shit the entire time. Definitely yeah. should be I'm, done more. Oh my God. I, the, I would so hope that Nope utilizing that uh, approach has kind of like had a resurgence because – I'm so tired of squinting through dark <laughs> movies uh, and the fact that stuff like this and Nope uh, really are this sort of like pristine example of that being more than viable. And if anything, like a central part of the identity of those types of films and why they are so memorable and why they look so good. Hell yeah. So happy we got to finally chat about this movie in some depth because uh, it's one that, you know, I know there's several sequels and i don't necessarily know i'm gonna go out of my way to check those out but i'm oh um, don't yeah it doesn't there's no there's no sequel (laughs) i'm telling you there's no sequel it's a one and done movie read the book if anything uh you mentioned the books and the comics and everything and uh, i think i'll definitely be searching those out because you know i need uh i need my my 30 days a night fix now to continue and i'm certainly not going to the movies for that but uh yeah, man, this was great. I'm so happy we finally got to uh, dive into this one. Wait, did you give your did you, did you give your rating? Oh yeah, six pack. Oh, that's right, because you were saying that you. Well, I guess I did go through a six pack. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, that was yeah. All right, I was like sitting there, I was like, ah, oh, this sounds like a six. <laughs> you, were, you were just you were so you I was were so, so engrossed excited. and excited. Yeah. I guess I just completely missed. You're that. so engrossed and excited <laughs> at the thought of a movie that has no bad. No <laughs> so bad. Yeah, it's a three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you fucking imagine? Oh my god, it'd be heartbreaking. No, six all around, and uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely recommend everybody checking this out, especially if you're not a massive fan of the subgenre like me. Absolutely, I, I, I could not. Yeah, if you're even remotely interested in vampires and wanting to see something different, I, I couldn't recommend it more. Hell yeah! Thank you for listening to another episode of Genre Haze. If you enjoyed our back and forth bullshitting, please head over to your preferred podcast platform to rate and review the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at GenreHazePod for updates about which films we'll be covering in the future. And as always, don't fear the depths of genre filmmaking.